The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Messages of Hope. Usually, I start the program by sharing one of my magical moments in one of my readings or with my team of spirits, spirit guides, but I have so much to chat about today with our guest, Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, that I don't want to waste even a minute. I recently read his book. The title is Not Yet, and we will be talking a lot about that, and it just blew me away. This is a man who has so much wisdom to share with us. I have a feeling he's very humble, and he's probably blushing right now as I say that, but truly, his book is a gift. He is a gift, and I know you're going to love this show. So let me tell you just a little bit about him before I bring him in. His book states that in the emergency department of a major trauma center, Dr. O'Driscoll frequently communicated with spirits who hovered between this life and the next. He saw people leave their bodies at the time of death, and he experienced eternity with them. Dr. O'Driscoll's otherworldly communications began in childhood after the farm accident that took the life of his older brother. For those who wish to develop their spiritual gifts, his book, Not Yet, is a must-read. Dr. O'Driscoll recently published six beautiful children's books and his first novel. He also paints and sculpts. He married Sheila more than 30 years ago, and they have five children and three grandchildren. Dr. O'Driscoll, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. You're one busy man, aren't you? Uh, some days are pretty busy, yes. Uh, I tend to go in spurts, and once in a while I get a break and relax, and then I get some writing or some exercise. But, yeah, I keep busy. Very good. Well, the people who listen to my show know that I am a medium. I communicate with those who have passed, and yet I never had the the otherworldly communications in child that many who are mediums speak of. I'm actually envious of that. Mine started later in life after a family tragedy. But would you just begin by telling us about these communications that you experienced in your childhood? My recollection of my childhood experiences is very limited, as a matter of fact. I never thought of myself as having a gift or having any particularly unusual experiences. I just thought that I was having the same experiences everyone else was having. But I recently have been reading my journal. I have a 40-year journal that started when I was uh, 
19 years old. And uh, I remembered having this car crash when I was 16, but I didn't remember these other details till I read in my journal when I was 19. I wrote about this car crash I had when I was 16. And I was going 60 miles an hour on a dark, windy country road with a couple friends in the car and a Volkswagen bug. And uh, I heard this uh, voice say, you need to slow down. And for some reason, I listened and uh, slowed down. I went around the corner and met a pair of headlights that belonged to a Cadillac and uh, had quite an accident. Uh, there was a lot of damage. And I didn't think much about that. I thought everybody had those kind of experiences and voices and things. But I later spoke with somebody who told me they thought that that was a divine voice speaking to me. And as I grew older, I started to wonder, you know, how can I, I would I wouldn't have never listened to this voice. I, I was a rebellious teenager. I wouldn't have listened to my parents. I wouldn't have listened <laughs> to an authority figure. I, I, I'm not sure I'd have listened to God, but there was one voice I would have listened to. And this voice wrapped itself around my heart and I experienced it. And I think it was my brother, my older brother, because, you know, he was dead, but he was my hero. I believed everything my older brother ever told me, with one exception, and uh, and I think if he had spoke to me on that night, on that country road, I would have listened, and I think that's who was speaking to me, and that was that's my first real recollection of having that kind of an experience. Well, the goosebumps that I got just now hearing you say that, that's always my form of validation, and it's just beautiful. I know that our loved ones who have passed come to help us and serve as our guardians at times. So did you put that aside, or have you listened to that voice since then? Oh, I listened to it a lot after that. In fact, I was still uh, uh, 19 when I went to a friend I really trusted who was a few years older and who had a lot of experience. And without giving her any context whatsoever, I just asked her one day, uh, does God ever speak to you in sentences? And she just gave me this stern, knowing look, and she wagged her finger at me two or three times, and she said, don't ever doubt that. Hmm. And uh, I, took her, I took her advice, and I've tried not to doubt it. I've tried to listen and follow. And in my younger years, you know, I thought it was God, and that's why I asked her, does God ever speak to you in sentences? Since then, I think sometimes it may still be a divine being. Sometimes I think it's a messenger or an angel or an emissary or an ambassador uh, use whatever word works for you in your theological construct. Uh, and sometimes I am certain that it was my brother. And I love how you put that because so often people say to me, well, I can't tell who's talking to me. And really, does it matter? Most of the time it doesn't matter. Sometimes I've found it makes a huge difference. And for that reason, I learned a long time ago when I have a spiritual experience, when I get that vibration in my soul that spreads from my core out to my fingers, uh, for me, it's a spiritual experience. And sometimes I'm not clear what the purpose of it is or, or, or where it comes from. And I've learned to ask two questions. The first question is simply, who are you? Mm-hmm. And I don't always get an answer, but a lot of times I do. And sometimes it puts everything in context and then it makes sense. And the second question is, what, would you, what do you want me to do? I'm glad because, you clarified that because when I say, does it matter? Yes, we do try to ask, but if you don't, and if it's benevolent, like you said. Yeah. Sometimes you don't ask. Sometimes I don't need to ask. 
Um, but one thing I have found is often when messengers come to me, sometimes it's for comfort and direction and sustaining strength. And sometimes it's because they want my help with something, but they're so respectful of my agency that this is my life, not theirs, that they won't infringe upon my life sometimes unless I ask. And so sometimes it's not until I ask, what do you want me to do that I'll get the message that they want to deliver. Beautiful. I love that you listen. I love that you are a physician and now an author and that you listen to that voice and you always have. And we're going to talk a lot about that as we go along. The reason I found out about you is because a former guest on this show was a good friend of yours now, Jeffrey Olson, another Jeff. And he mentions you in his book that we talked about on his show. And now you have your own book. Do you want to talk about how it is you came to know Jeffrey Olson? Sure. Yeah, I love Jeff Olson. He's a dear, dear friend, and he has been for over 20 years. As you know, he was driving his family in a car, and uh, he's not certain because he doesn't remember every detail, but he thinks he fell asleep, which caused him to lose control of the car, and it rolled over and uh, instantly killed his uh, wife, Tamara, and his Uh, 14-month-old son, Griffin, his seven-year-old son uh, was almost uninjured, minor injuries, and Jeff was injured very badly and nearly nearly killed himself. He ended up losing his leg, and he was in the hospital and had to have a lot of surgeries. And before he was even extricated from the vehicle, he left his body and had a near-death experience with his wife, Tamara, who told him, you have to go back. You have to raise our son, Spencer. And so... That was his first near-death experience of of a series of them, and he was extricated from the car and taken to a local hospital and then flown to the trauma center where I was on duty. And uh, I was working with a nurse who was very in tune to spiritual things, and she knew that I'd had some spiritual experiences. And although I wasn't Jeff's physician, I was elsewhere in the department. There was another physician taking care of Jeff. She came and got me and insisted that I come to the trauma room because this trauma patient who was unconscious, Jeff Olson, his wife was with him, she said. And I knew something of her spiritual proclivities, so I went with her to the trauma room. And uh, sure enough, when I entered the room, standing above Jeff in the air was his wife, Tamara. I have uh, to interrupt a second. Yeah, Could I interrupt? Because this is just phenomenal. Of all the people that I've interviewed and the many stories I've heard, this is one of the few instances where you have two people who are able to objectively see someone who has passed, see this person now in the spirit world right there in the room. And that's so validating for all of us. Yeah, in a, in a way, Jeff was saying goodbye to Tamara when I was saying hello to her. And... Uh, she expressed this profound gratitude for the service that was given, being given to her husband. And there was a pure flow of knowledge and I could see in all directions at the same time. And I walked over and looked down at her husband, Jeff on the gurney and he was unconscious. And as I looked down at him, I could still see her behind me standing in the air. And I could see as clearly behind me as, as in any other direction. And I had a lot of the other experiences that you hear spiritual people describe with their near-death experiences or knowledge. The room became quiet and more so something, but it was all quiet. And uh, eventually I sent Jeff off to the OR, or the team that was taking care of him did, and I went out and finished my shift and went home. And I'd had enough experiences like this in the past that 
I was just reading this literally out of my journal this morning from 1997. It's almost 22 years ago. And uh, I was so cryptic and brief in my journal entry. I wrote, it was an interesting experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I kind of went over top, uh, over the top on that entry. And uh, I never expected to see him again. And then a month later, the same nurse came. What happened? And I wasn't very excited about doing that, but I went with her, and uh, that was when I first learned that Jeff had had a near-death experience. And uh, we shared this nurse, and I shared the experience we had with him, and we've been fast friends since. And he came back with a lot of questions about what he experienced and how it fit with his theology that he'd been brought up with. And I'd had enough experiences by that time in my life that I was able to sit down with him and talk about these things. And I knew the answers to his questions. And that was one of the reasons we became such good friends. It's a beautiful story. Did you see Tamara after that at any time? I haven't seen her since, but she has spoken to me a few times. She intervened in that first, my book, Not Yet, that you mentioned, is uh, it pulls from some areas of my life, uh, but mostly it's about the first year of my friendship with Jeff Olson and what happened in that one year. And she came a couple of times uh, during that year, I think, and shepherded us through some potentially difficult times. Jeff was in and out of the hospital all the time and having operations, and yes. uh, he had some really dark times. and. And uh, I turned up on his doorstep a number of times and asked him the right question to help him get through the next uh, the next phase. Absolutely, you were a gift to him. Do do you consider that your communications across the veil are a gift? Yes, I've only recently acknowledged that. Literally, in the last few months, is the first time I ever called it a gift. And what drove me to that realization and to use that word was after 20 years, when I finally started to share my story, just a a little over a year ago, people came up to me and asked me after I spoke or after they read my book, they started asking me about my gift and they started asking me when it started and how it worked and all these questions. And in that conversation, it processed it enough. I began to see how the experiences I was having could help others. And when I came to that realization, then I realized it was a gift and it was given to me to help others heal. And there's no doubt your book is helping to do that in a big way. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the book. There is an amazing part in the beginning of the book about how you, you asked to take on the burden of another woman. And it leads to the title of the book. Will you share that with everybody who's listening? Sure. I, um, a few years before I met Jeff, uh, a woman whom I call Rebecca in the book, um, had just had her sixth child and a few weeks later her, her husband was killed in a car accident. And she and I met through a strange set of circumstances and began, began to communicate with one another. And I had a daughter the same age. I had five kids and my youngest was within a few days of the, her youngest in age. And I felt an immediate connection to her and she needed help and I wanted to help her, but I didn't know how. 
And other people were helping her with physical things and temporal things and finances and stuff like that. She didn't need that from me. And heaven showed me what she needed. What she needed was somebody to help carry her spiritual burden for her because it was so great. It makes me a a little bit emotional just now thinking about it again. (laughs) And I was coming home from the ER once in the middle of the night and a voice as clear as the anchor on the, on the evening news said to me is Rebecca's family less important in my eyes than yours. Mm. And I thought, well, no, of course not. And then the voice said, then why should they be in yours? And I started to rationalize in my mind, but my first responsibilities to my wife and my children, that it has to be that way. But I had this divine flow of knowledge at the, at that moment that made it clear to me that the voice speaking to me loved everyone the same and that I should too. And that I should care for these people and this woman, the way I'd care for my own and more fully that I realized that they were my own. And so I asked naively, but I asked anyway, I said, can I carry a portion of the spiritual burden for her? (laughs) And surprising to me was the answer was yes, you can. And this horrible, heavy, palpable blackness that was in her life settled onto me and uh, rested on my life for a few years, actually. And it was so bad one day that this foreboding filled the room and it made me sick and I had to sit down to keep from falling down. And I literally thought I might die. And the voice said to me, this is how Rebecca felt the day her husband died. And it wasn't even some impersonal, this is how it feels like to lose a spouse, or this is how it feels like to be in, in a, in a, you know, a difficult spot in life. It was very specific and personal. This is how Rebecca felt on that day. And as I said, it kind of waxed and waned over a period of time, but it never went away. And one day I was praying about it and asking if I couldn't be free from it. It was kind of in retrospect, uh, a naive kind of a attempt to renege on a promise, if you will, because her husband hadn't come back to life. She didn't have a way out. And here I was praying for a way out. And the voice that spoke to me said, not yet. (laughs) And I wept. And that's the title of the book. That's where the title of the book comes from. And I was kind of shepherded the next couple of years through this process of learning and empathy and what it feels like. And I learned vicariously through her experience And I learned that we can carry another person's spiritual burdens and help them in their dark times. And as I was coming out of that blackness a little bit is when I met Jeff Olson. And the first real conversation I had with Jeff Olson after he was temporarily out of the hospital, and we spoke about some of his near-death experiences and all the questions he had, I came home and I wrote in my journal that night, that I was grateful for the blackness because it taught me things and I knew how to help him and I knew the answers to his questions. And that was part of the realization of, you know, experiences are given to us to enable us to help others. Well, I'll tell you, you, the way you describe this period of what I can only term depression that you went through, you call it blackness, I mean, causing you to cry and and to truly feel this woman's pain, to carry her burden for her. Somebody who was not even that well-known to you was truly stunning in your, your selflessness. Yeah. But 
And I want to ask you, though, one thing you don't talk about in the book is, did you, how did your wife deal with this? Because she now <laughs> had to deal with a husband and fa- father of your children who is going through a depression because of this selfless act you took. How is she St. Sheila? My wife. <laughs> she's a, yeah, St. Sheila, that's right. She's among the most unselfish people I've ever known. And amazingly, she told me since I published my book, she said, so many people have come to me and asked me how I could put up with this when I was going through this, right? And uh, she just supported me. In fact, she sometimes would come to me and say, you need to go visit Carol or, or Rebecca. And uh, you need, in fact, she bought a, a Christmas present for Rebecca and said, you need to take this to her. And she did wow. things like that. And uh, um I I would say, though, that I wouldn't call it a depression. In fact, I, I actually wrote about this in my journal, not in my book, I don't think. I, mean, I think I might have mentioned it in the book, but in my journal, I go through it and I analyze it. And mind you, I'm a physician. And it wasn't like depression. What it was was it was vicarious grieving mm. uh, for the death of somebody. I was going through the grieving process for her or with her for the loss of her husband. But it wasn't like a depression. Well, what the the great lesson for the readers of your book? It certainly was for me reading it was how much empathy you learned and gained from that situation. How to really care about others. The the empathy yeah, was a it helped huge me a lot. It. it was it, that was I think the biggest lesson I learned. In fact, uh, at one point I went to see a friend of mine, and he was thirty five years older than me, and he was steeped in soul-stretching experience. He'd survived a foxhole on Okinawa. And uh, I sat with him one day, and I didn't tell him all the details, but he had, a, he had an idea of what I was going through. And he leaned back in his chair, and he put his feet up on his desk, and he clasped his hands behind his head, and he looked at me, and he said, empathy is a good thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> all he said. But it was so spot on. You know, he he nailed it in his five short words. Empathy is a good thing. Well, you speaking of putting feet up, and the and the topic of empathy. I hope you don't mind sharing another story from your book because it really got to me. The story of the homeless man. Speaking of feet. Oh yeah. Yes, I. Uh, um, I went to. I was in. I was at work one day. It was in the evening. It was kind of on the shoulder season. I think we had some snow outside, but it wasn't it wasn't bitter cold. It wasn't below zero kind of cold. But uh, there was a homeless man, and I walked into the room, and there was this homeless man. And uh, he was disheveled and long beard and long hair. And I looked down at his feet, and he had holes in his shoes, and I could see through the holes in his shoes. I could see the holes in his socks, and I could see his... Uh, bits of his feet through the holes and we kind of looked at each other and I don't think we even spoke actually. Um, and he was I knew what needed to be done. He knew he was the patient. Yes. He mm-hmm. was the homeless gentleman. And I reached under the uh, sink and I grabbed a wash basin. I filled it with tepid water and squirted a little soap in it. And then I sat down at the foot of the gurney where he was. And uh, I carefully took off his shoes and socks and I put his foot into the water and took a wash rag and started to wash his feet. And in the process of doing this, I looked up at him 
and my eyes were opened and I saw that portion of him that was divine. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I saw God. I saw who he was. I understood, I understood his role on earth and his role that night in teaching me. And, uh, I, I served him and he served me and we both walked away, uh, edified. And he walked away, by the way, in my shoes. <laughs> That's the part. I wasn't going to let you get away. <laughs> I wasn't going to let you get away without <laughs> without letting everybody know that you gave that man your shoes that night. Just, just. Oh, I had 10 more pairs at home and a, and a heater in my car on the way home to keep my feet warm. So it wasn't much of a sacrifice on my part, but uh, it was a profound and wonderful experience. Beautiful story. Wow. That's these experiences most often come from is the most simple things. I had a friend that drugged me off to the Utah state prison once to speak to the inmates. I didn't really want to go, but he invited me and he was a friend. And so I went and uh, interestingly, when he invited me, I I got these really strong impressions about uh, speaking about forgiveness, not repentance, but forgiveness. And uh, I went with him and spoke at the prison and Totally unexpectedly, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm very familiar with the, with, uh, the New Testament, for example. And uh, in the car that night, uh, I heard a voice and it said, I was in prison and he visited me. Mm. And I thought, oh, wow, I never even thought of that. Mm. <laughs> when we serve our fellow being, we serve God. And you talk so much in the book are. about service. Service is, is, seems to be key in your life, of course, as a physician, but what would you say is your purpose now? You're no longer in the emergency room, isn't that right? I'm, I haven't been practicing for a couple of years. I took a leave of absence. I've been consulting with a medical device company, and I've been writing and speaking. And in the last few weeks, my purpose has crystallized more fully than I ever uh, had before mm. I exist to help souls heal that's my purpose yeah your book will do that and just your presence your your wisdom that you share hmm. why did you wait so long heal, to talk about your bodies. experience no you <laughs> heal their souls I don't know <laughs> yeah now I heal their souls I help souls heal uh, Jeff invited me to go with him and talk a number of times. He'd written his book about 10 years after the accident, and he'd invited me to go with him. And I consistently said, no, I just didn't feel it was right for some reason. I don't know why. And then about a year and a half ago, I woke up one day, and I had this feeling it was okay to talk about it now. Well, you know what? We're going to have and, to uh, wait till after the break to talk about it more because I just noticed it's time for a break. So please come back and join right. us, everybody, with Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
when listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio. You're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them completely and wholly, to heal from them as we must, as we are willing to be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny. As we move successfully through these experiences, we will find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant, and those things that are challenging and painful and difficult, are drivers for your own evolution. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. If you've been on a spiritual path for a long time, what can you read that's new and exciting? Try Unity Magazine. It's designed for the seasoned spiritual student with in-depth articles and interviews about spiritual practices and philosophies. Our columnists share their own faith journeys and cover healing, science, and psychology with even a little scripture thrown in. You'll read some classic authors and some new ones. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. More and more people are interested in a vegan lifestyle, and the numbers continue to grow. Join Victoria Moran every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central for Main Street Vegan and learn how to make the shift to help animals and the planet. Each week, Victoria shares recipes, health tips, and interviews with celebrity vegans, experts, and activists. Learn how to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Right here on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We're having an outstanding conversation with Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll. He is the author of the book, Not Yet. And you can find out more about him at his website, jeffodriscoll.com. That's J-E-F-F-O-D-R-I-S-C-O-L-L. What an amazing bunch of stories he has to share about his experiences across the veil from his work as an emergency room physician, but it goes way beyond that. Jeff, why don't more people have these types of otherworldly experiences? 
I think there's a couple responses to that question. The first response I'd say is more people have them than we realize because a lot of people don't talk about them. My second response is in the medical profession, there is a potential professional price to pay if you don't get far down the road talking about uh, intangible, uh, spiritual, non-medical kind of things as they might be viewed in the profession. So that's another reason. And I think uh, a third and larger answer to your question, in my experience, when I'm in the emergency department, I'm most open to spiritual things usually when I'm not consumed with the demands of my job. That is, I don't very often have spiritual experiences if I'm running the code or the trauma and I'm giving orders and I'm uh, doing procedures and I'm tr frantically trying to save someone's life. I'm so consumed with my job that there's not any room for spiritual things sometimes. That's not always the case, but most of the time. Mm -hmm. But but when I'm not involved in the case, like for example with Jeff Olson, I'm open to it because I don't I'm not consumed by by uh, worldly things. For example, I walked into the department one day to start my shift like any other day, and before I'd even set my things down, I sensed a spiritual presence. And there was this uh, woman who I think was in her 80s and. Uh, she was in an adjacent room, and the team was trying desperately to revive her. And she came to me, and she asked me for help. And I want to make it explicitly clear. I was not her doctor. I did not provide any medical care whatsoever. Other people were doing that. I just mm -hmm. walked around the corner and into the room and just quietly walked over and rested my hand on her leg as everybody else continued to do their job. And I touched her because touching breaks down so many barriers spiritually. And she spoke to me and she asked me if it was okay to leave. Well, there's nothing special about me to make, to answer that question. Uh, I, I told her silently, I said, but she did this silently. Is that ready? right? Yeah, it was all silently. Mm -hmm. She was unconscious. Right. And I told, I told her, if you think it's time for you to leave and you feel good about leaving, I think it's probably okay for you to go. All I did was communicate with her the thoughts that came to me from some eternal place. And she rose up out of her body and stood in the air and looked at me. And she appeared to be about half the age of the body she'd just come out of. And she thanked me and then she left. And I don't think that ever would have happened if I'd have been her physician. It was the fact that I was not consumed by all the things that were demanding everybody's attention that allowed my heart to be open to have that experience. I have no doubt that that's how it works. So many times if I'm giving a presentation or a workshop, and I don't tune into those in the spirit world because the focus is here on our worldly things. I think this is important for exactly. all, of, all of you listening to understand that all it takes often is a shift of focus away from this physical reality because the so-called spirit world is part of our world right here. I love what you said. That's the exact story that I was hoping you would share with us, Jeff, because I love how you talk about touch being so powerful and, and important that that woman, you saw that her condition offered no hope for improvement. She was going to go back to her nursing home, and she was ready. That's it, that's 
my judgment to make. It was her deciding to leave. And all I did was say, if you think it's right for you to go, it's probably okay for you to go. And I didn't have any medical uh, input into her care whatsoever. The other thing I think really inhibits spiritual communication in the ER, particularly, there's a lot of souls coming and going. They're being born, they're dying, there's a lot going on. But uh, two things, in my experience, really interfere with spiritual experiences. One of them is profound emotion, the joy of welcoming a child into this earth, this life. Mm -hmm. And the second is the grief of saying goodbye to somebody and knowing you're going to be separated for a time. And those two powerful emotions often block the profound spiritual experiences that people could otherwise have when a loved one transitions either through birth or death. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Death so many people say to me, spiritual thing. yeah, so many say, why can't I sense my loved one who has passed? And that grief is in itself a bit of a veil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Now, one of the things you wrote in the book was such a huge aha for me. We talk about crossing the veil and parting the veil. Will you share with everybody your one of your meta- versions of what the veil is actually a metaphor for? Yes, I think it represents a few things when we talk about the veil, but I think the one that most directly connects with me is the notion that it's our body is the veil. That's we huge. enter the body. Yeah, we enter the body at birth, at which time we're enveloped in this veil of forgetfulness, if you will. And it's a protective veil because if we brought all the knowledge we had into this life, it would destroy us. And so the veil of our body helps us to forget and allows us to regain this knowledge a bit at a time as we're ready to be accountable for it. And then we can move forward. And when we leave this body, when we leave this veil, then we have perspective again and we see clearly. And so that's why these people that have near-death experiences describe this profound flow of knowledge and this ability to move so freely and the restoration of all this glorious light is because they're out of the veil of their body. Exactly. And the beautiful thing is that we can learn to do that or sometimes by grace have those types of experiences even while we're still in the body. Yes, my message to people and one of the things I try to convey in my book is you can have a profound spiritually transformative experience without dying. Because most people, when I started speaking to groups, I found out people are there, they're very interested, but what they really want is they want their own near-death experience, and they preferably would like to get it without dying. Exactly. And so my message to people is you can have that. You can have the same experiences without going through death, Um, and there's ways that can facilitate that. Why don't you talk about them? Because I know I hear you all thinking that. (laughs) How, Jeff? How, yes. Well, there's the challenge because um, it's sometimes different for everybody. There's some general principles, but it's different for everybody. And that's why I love doing personal spiritual mentoring because I can sit with somebody. I can find out where they are. I can listen to them until I can discern what their next step is. And then I can help them recognize the next step to take to get their own answers. I don't give people answers. I help them discover their gifts so they can get their own answers. That's exactly. I've had people tell me. 
I've had people tell me that they've never had a spiritual experience. And this is what I say to them. If you want an exercise to have a spiritual experience, here's, here's one thing you can do, and I'm not aware that it's ever failed in anybody I've shared it with before. When you meditate or pray or ponder or whatever you do to get spiritually centered, ask this one question. Mm-hmm. What can I do to serve someone else today? And I promise you, you will get an answer. It might be a feeling. It might be a sentence. It might be an image in your head. Uh, something will prompt you in one direction or another. And if you act on it and you do it, that's a spiritual experience and you can practice and grow into it. I love that. Once you start doing that, it just it becomes additive. You'll want to do it again. And then the magic just unfolds the because we've tapped into the higher aspects of ourself. Yes, I agree. And, and you start, here's the challenge with gifts. People too often think of a gift as something that's given to them whole cloth and perfected and all they have to do is go out and do it. They're fine with the idea of practicing football four hours a day in spring training to be, make the team, even if they have a gift for sport. And they're okay with being a child prodigy on the piano, but they still have to practice their 40,000 hours to become proficient. But they don't think of practicing spiritual gifts. You have to make sacrifices and you have to practice them. And there's ways to practice them so that you can be be- become better. That's what, yes, exactly right. There's, from, there's your prescription from the doctor. There's no magic pill. Sometimes by grace, these abilities and this connection and the sense of divine presence opens up to us because it is right here. But at other times, we need to make an effort to see through the veil, literally, by raising our own consciousness. Is that? I don't want to put words in your mouth. These are my words, but is that how you see it? I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yes, you start with the little things and you practice and you get better at it. And uh, little acts of service are a great way to get started. And there's ways you can practice uh, beginning to hear better. I mean, using a notebook, for example, I talk about that in my book. Get yourself a notebook and there's, uh, there's some steps you can go through that will help you to communicate with spirit or with source or whatever term you like to use uh, for where you get your knowledge and ultimately uh, most of the time for most people is it's self and people, people have the knowledge already. They just need to part the veil and remember what they've known from eternity. That's where the, most of the answers come from. Exactly. And a notebook will very- help. I was very intrigued about your some of your spiritual experiences. I think you mentioned it more than once, and you talked about it earlier and probably grabbed some people's attention. When you were in that ER and you saw Jeff Olson's wife, Tamara, in spirit, she had already passed, and you said, I could see in all directions at the same time. That's yeah. an amazing experience. Had Have you had that since, and do you... Are you aware at the time, oh, this is an altered state? Yes, I've had it a number of times since. And uh, as a matter of fact, I describe in my book about some experiences where I was not in the ER. I was uh, in a completely different setting, and uh, I was in a conference room, and the door was open behind me, and I was sitting at a conference table, 
and a, a deceased person whom I recognized walked in the door behind me and I could see oh. behind me. I could see him walk in the door and sit in the chair behind me. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, so I've had that a number of times. Why don't you share with us the wonderful story about when your father's soul came to visit you, but he had not passed? I don't have an explanation for that. And you'll find this amazing. Although my father's still alive, I've never spoken to him about that experience and asked him his thoughts about it, although he has read my book. Um, But one day... And he didn't comment comment about it after reading? (laughs) <laughs> he may have wanted to, but we haven't had the conversation. I, oh, I don't know why. Okay. Um, but he came to me once. I was uh, in my bedroom, and uh, I looked up, and there was my father uh, standing in the air, and the ceiling that was normally there just wasn't there. It was just gone, and uh, so there was room for him. And mm-hmm. he gave me this satchel, and it was very tangible. I could feel it. And uh, I could see it. And he told me, he said, I have a gift for you, and you need to meet me in the land of our forefathers, and I'll give you the gift there. And he explained to me that in this satchel was everything I needed to make the trip. There was a passport. There was uh, some tokens for uh, uh, railways and bridges and various things like that. There was a map for instructions and all these things. And he was explicit. He said to not mistake what I, he was giving me at that time for the gift because this was the means to get the gift. And of course, I instantly understood the metaphor that we have a, a divine father, a heavenly being who gives us the path and he gives us the tools we need to get there. And he promises us, just make the journey and come back to me and I'll give you the gift that I'm holding for you. Beautiful. Wow. You were, you were but, awake at this time. This was not a dream. Yes, I was wide awake, and my father was alive and still is alive. And, uh, yes, I was wide awake. It's beautiful. Wow. So, so many people struggle and haven't had these experiences, and they're going through challenging times. You speak a lot about that in the book. What are our challenges all about? I had an experience just a few weeks ago that I'll share with you. It's not in the book because I just had it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, I talk about this in the book that I've, I've struggled for decades to love people the way I think they deserve to be loved unconditionally and unendingly. And it doesn't seem to be a natural gift of mine to be able to love people the way I read about and hear other people talk about. I struggle with it. And I went out for a run. I often get uh, a download while I'm running. And I went out for a run. And I, maybe I just asked the right question or maybe the timing was just right. But I asked. I said, why do I struggle so much to love? And the answer came back, so you can understand those who struggle and help them. Mm. And then he said, and I give you charity. It's a gift. You can't earn it. Share it. And I came home, my, my whole world had shifted. My whole perspective was different. I woke up the next morning, and it was a brand new world. I understood 40 years of frustration 
immediately evaporated and any tinge of resentment was gone. And I just thought, oh, okay, I get it now. There's purpose in this. I'm okay with the tears for all these years and all the difficulty because now I can help other people. And he said, every experience is to enable you to help someone else. (laughs) See, I'd always thought experiences were for personal growth and then we could go use that growth to go out and help somebody else. And he said, no, the primary purpose of any experience is to help somebody else. And Mm. you get the secondary benefit of the personal growth. I love that. And so when you ask me about suffering and struggle and afflictions, I, I would now say, in my case, I can't say this necessarily for anybody else, but in my personal case, the purpose of every one of my experiences is to enable me to help somebody else. Well, I need to tell you that your book definitely helped me uh, to to understand empathy in a greater way. And in fact, it's really interesting that I was reading it on a flight back home to Florida from Salt Lake City, where you live. Uh, is this just coincidence? I don't know. But there was a man right across the aisle on the plane who for a solid hour and a half coughed and hacked and didn't cover his mouth. And I was feeling so, it was, I, I just could feel my human side acting up. And here I am reading your book about empathy and I'm getting more irritated. Like, why can't that man cover his mouth? This is these, these germs spreading all over the cabin. And as I'm reading your book, it suddenly occurred to me, wow, what a human reaction this is. That man's not happy. He can't be very comfortable. And I sat there and opened my heart and sent him love and healing energy. And I put my headphones on because I couldn't listen anymore to the hacking. But I sat there and just sent him love. And when I took the headphones off, he had completely stopped after an hour and a half. And that was your lesson passed on. Uh, I was a little ashamed of myself for not walking the talk at the moment because I tried to be empathetic with everyone. But it was it's funny when we, we notice how our human sides come out. Oh, yeah. I got plenty of human side in me still. <laughs> We're all works in progress, right? Yeah, we all are works in progress. But you know what? The more we realize that the more inclined we are to let things slide off, to acknowledge people's human side and, and, and put it in perspective. And, uh, and even though they do things that aggravate us or infuriate us or frustrate us, I find that I can walk away from it. Maybe not in the moment, but the next day or, or an hour later, I could say, oh, yeah, that was no big deal. That, that was in my head. That was a big deal. But really, it isn't. Perspective is a but wonderful a thing. Yes. <laughs> Now this yeah, perspective is a wonderful thing. I, I, I learned something about perspective just recently. You know, I was thinking about how is it that somebody like Jeff Olson, who uh, is a flawed, imperfect, normal, mortal person driving his car, and an instant later, he's in the presence of the divine being told that he's perfect. Hmm. What happened? in that moment, in that instant between those two states that all of a sudden made him perfect. And I thought about that and I thought about it and it finally dawned on me. The only thing that changed was his perspective. Exactly. He was always perfect. He, we forget that we're perfect in this life. We're striving to become perfect rather than living in perfection. And that's a whole nother discussion that would take too long here, but uh, we are perfect now. We just don't realize it. 
Isn't that interesting? I just did a channeling session just a couple of days ago, and that whole subject of perfection came up. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. We could really go into that one. I, I'd like yeah. to share share with everybody listening a, a, a quote that, from your book, a, a couple lines that really struck me. I, I highlighted that that wouldn't surprise my husband at all. We buy stock and highlighters, but your book is so highlighted because I just loved it. His book, everybody is not yet. We're talking with Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll. And you wrote, when I was born of mortal parents, I became mortal by virtue of my birth. I didn't have to do anything more to realize my mortality. I didn't have to grow to maturity or become famous or otherwise prove myself. I was mortal. So it is with my divine parentage. By virtue of being a child of God, I am a God already. I may grow and learn and become more like my divine parents, but I am a God already. Very strong statement, but very lot of truth in that. Yes. In fact, when we talk about being less than that, it's almost a slap in the face of our divine parent. You imagine if I went to my father and said, you know, someday I'd like to be an O'Driscoll. And he'd say, well, you are an O'Driscoll. No, no, no. When When I grow up, when I do something really worthwhile, I want to be an O'Driscoll. And he said, but I gave you that as a gift. It's yours. No, 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 no. I have to do something to earn it. Imagine how insulted he'd be. And yet we do that with our divine parent all the time. We say, oh, I have to do something to be adequate, to be worthy, to be divine. And he's saying, no, I gave it to you as a gift. Accept it. And then you say in the book, to add to that, I may labor to become more like God, kinder, more patient, more loving, more forgiving, but that doesn't negate what I am by virtue of my divine heritage. That's all of you listening, not just Jeff, everybody. We're all the same. Wow. Yep, it applies to all of us. And one of the profound things about coming to that realization is not only how you feel about yourself, but it enables you to look at that person next to you and that's, you know, that's causing you that mortal irritation that we talked about a few minutes ago. You're able to look at that person and say, oh, they're divine too. They're a God as well. Yes, yes, yes. And then we can treat them appropriately. For some people it's very hard, but that's because we're looking with our human eyes. You talk a lot about, you know, different eyes. That's why washing the man's feet that we talked about in the previous segment was so profound for me was because I saw who he was. I saw his divinity. How does it feel now to be in this this relatively new role for you now as a spiritual teacher, having shifted a, a bit of your career now to sharing with people on a grand scale the wisdom in your book, not yet? It feels perfect. It feels like I'm doing the right thing at the right time to help souls heal. And that's what I care about. That's... I exist to help souls heal, and that's what I'm doing. You've followed your intuition quite a bit in your life. You give a story about driving 200 miles to meet a family that you didn't even know why you were going. You shared one sentence of wisdom with them, and that was all it took. That is absolutely divine guidance. Is that how you live every moment? Well, I'd like to say I live every moment that way, but, you know, I still have to wash the dishes and, and uh, 
you know, repair the, repair my truck and uh, take care of the mundane things of life and a lot of distractions. But um, sometimes it's in the midst of those distractions that you uh, get the most profound experiences. And in fact, just yesterday, in the most unlikely of circumstances, I felt this spiritual presence, this, this recognition that something significant was there. And, and I paused and, and I asked, and it was my brother. And I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, keep going. Nice. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm presently writing an, a curriculum uh, for teaching healing principles, and I'm working on my next book. And he said, keep going. Beautiful guidance. Well, like you're the one that said earlier, you know, we're here to serve, so it's never ending. So we've been enjoying the, the wisdom of Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll. His website is jeffodriscoll.com. His book, please run out and get this book. You won't regret it. <laughs> Not yet. I couldn't read it fast enough. Jeff, we have just uh, one minute to go. Any parting wisdom for everybody who's listening? Yes, I've been reading my journal of the last 40 years, and I've been surprised how critical I am of myself over and over again in my journal. I'm always beating myself up about something. This is my advice to everybody. Lighten up. Take a breath. Cut yourself some slack and enjoy life and help your neighbor in the process. And you'll be happier and they'll be happier. Beautiful advice. We definitely are are pretty hard on ourselves sometimes, but you have shown that you've seen the greater aspect of all of us, which is what this show, Messages of Hope, is all about, helping people, all of us to realize that aspect of us does not come about just when we pass. It's here all the time to be celebrated. We celebrate your presence with us today, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.